Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you all. Um, I come come up uh, a little bit, bit like uh, Paul when he went to the Corinthian church. Um, Paul said, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. And I've prepared, and God hasn't said not to say what I've said, but he said to maybe do it in a different order and change it around a little bit. And so I'm, I'm, in in a sense, I apologize to start with that actually it might get a little bit messy in the middle, but sometimes that's the way God does it. And... uh, my prayer is that we do it his way, not mine. As I um, shared with Anthony um, just at the start of the service, I said to him, you know, I, I was feeling that, that weakness and fear and trembling, and he decided to share a story with me. And as, he, as I let him share the story, and he finished the story, I said, that's the story that God gave me to share over a week ago with you guys. So... So in, in a sense, I know it's of God. In another sense, I think, I wonder how many people already know it. But it doesn't matter. You're going to hear it again. And I pray that God will really speak to us through it. So the story starts. It's about a young man who uh, he, he, he believes that God's given him a real gift of preaching, that, uh, um, you know, that God's really put something on his heart. And he's been asked by the, the leaders of the church to, to preach for the first time. And so he, he bounds, as it were, up onto the stage and uh, starts to speak out what he believes God's laid on his heart. And so as he's speaking away, he starts to notice that maybe there's a few people just chatting with each other at the back. And then he noticed that maybe some of the older people at the back are falling asleep. And then... He looks down and he sees the leaders at the front conversing and looking rather concerned. And then to top it all, he sees one or two people disappearing out the door. And so he gradually grinds to a halt, mumbles an apology, and steps off the stage. After the the service, he's just about to try and make a dash for the door. and And an old man comes up to him. And said, uh, young man, if you had gone up onto that stage the way you came down, you would have come down the way you went up. I'll leave that to sink in just a moment. But We're looking at a passage from 1 Thessalonians. But I felt God just prompt me to talk about humility first. I've already read that short passage from Corinthians. and I'll, I'll read a little bit more of it now. This is 1 Corinthians 2 verses 1 to 5. And this is Paul when he, he's writing his letter to, to the Corinthians. And he said this about when he first came to them. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And in a minute, I'm going to share with you very briefly the journey that Paul had taken to get to the Corinthian church. Believe me, it has something to do with Thessalonians, don't worry. But I really felt that God was saying that here is a man who should have been bold and brash. Paul had been brought up not only as a Jew, but as a Roman citizen. He had gone to one of the best uh, teaching places in that, the, world, the known world back then. He had been taught by a Jewish rabbi who was called Gamaliel and was supposedly the, the best. And, and so he was a man who had been taught well and he'd been brought up well and he had, if you like, uh, any, you know, a reason to be bold and brash about what he was sharing. He'd been, as it were, selected by Jesus to be the 13th apostle. You know, when he saw that light and Jesus came to him on the road to Damascus. And yet Paul says he came in fear and trembling. And I thought, well, if it's good enough for Paul, how about looking at Jesus? You know, God himself, did he come in humility? Let's just read very quickly from Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. This is Paul speaking to the Philippians about Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I'll stop just there. When Paul went to the Ephesians... He said, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. And then one final passage on humility. This, not to Jesus or about Jesus, not about Paul, but actually more of a universal passage. It's one that we have probably quoted many times in the past. 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You might say, well, why am I sharing this? I I just had a real sense from God that as a church, we need to be making sure that we are humble, that we have a humility 
before God. I really felt challenged in my own life, but also to throw it a challenge. Is it something that you feel in your heart? Are you humble before God? Are you in expectation that only He and He alone can transform your life, can use you to further His kingdom? I had a picture uh, while we were worshipping. It was of a a water wheel that would power a, a, a mill for grinding corn. And as I, as I looked at the wheel, I thought, there's something not right here. And what I realized was that the wheel was going backwards. It was going against the water, as it were. And although it was turning, it was turning extremely slowly. And I, I felt that what was happening was that someone was turning the wheel backwards ever so slowly in their own strength as it were they were grinding the corn and I felt that God was saying okay it works but you might make a sack of flour a year actually as we sang the song about that river flowing from God it's a never-ending river I felt that God was saying actually you've got to allow me to do the work to release the river in your life and then the sacks of flour will be produced as, the, as the, uh, the mill works properly and the power of God works through your life. And, I, and that might be for somebody here. That might be a specific word. I don't know. That actually you've been trying to do things in your own strength. You've been achieving little tiny bits. But God says, no, in my strength you will achieve phenomenally more things. I want to just pray about the, the, this whole thing of humility. Lord Jesus, you were humble. Even though you, of all people, could have been risen up and done things and said, I am God. But you chose to be humble. You chose to follow the will of the Father. You chose the cross. And so we look back in history and we see the greatest day ever is when you chose the cross in humility. When we consider Paul, he did not come in boldness and brashness, but he came in weakness and humility and served his God. And he is considered possibly the greatest apostle, the one who who wrote so much of our New Testament. And even as we look into the Old Testament, we read that you are calling out for those who would be humble before you, Lord. And I just pray that as a church, me individually, I would be humble before you. I would not do things in my own strength, but in yours, that I would allow you to have your way in my life. Lord, that we as a church, individually and corporately, would allow you to have your way, for your power, for your river to flow through us and to achieve (laughs) all that you want to achieve, Lord, that those sacks of flour would be so numerous that we couldn't even count them, that your blessing would be poured forth in such a, a way as we humble ourselves before you. Lord, Have your way amongst us, I pray. Amen.
It is with the humility that Paul shared and and the challenge for us. I I really just like to continue on with uh, looking into Thessalonians. Just to, I know we've been looking at Thessalonians for a while, but just to to really remind you of what's been going on, I just, I felt it was good to just drop back into where Paul has been, what's been happening in his life and what brought him to write to the Thessalonians or the, if you like, the letters to the Thessalonians. So Paul, he is on his second missionary journey And he has just received a vision from God. It's a man calling him, saying, come on over into Macedonia, which is uh, north Greece, northern Greece. And so he and his his entourage, as it were, immediately travel across. Um, They take a ship and they arrive at uh, Philippi. It's a Roman uh, a province, so there's no synagogue for him to go and preach in as we, he would normally do. Instead, he goes down to the river to find a place of prayer. And as he does so, he starts to preach to those that are there. He sees a number of people saved. And then, after a number of days, there's this uh, slave girl following him and crying out that he is a servant of God. And Paul gets rather uh, concerned about all of this and so he casts out the demon from this slave girl which you think that's brilliant apart from the owners of the slave girl do not think it's brilliant they think there goes all our money because she had been making them money because she had been telling fortunes so they then stir up a riot and Paul and Silas are dragged uh, before the leaders of Philippi They are uh, stripped, they are beaten, and then they are thrown in jail. Just as a side, I just had this funny sense. It didn't happen, of course, but I had just this sense of Silas going, why couldn't you have left the slave girl alone? But he didn't, obviously. But, you know, it's just just my strange sense of humour there. But actually, they are in the deepest part of the jail. They're in the stocks. They're, They're bleeding. They're in pain. What do they do? They praise God. They cry out in prayer and praise to God. And he comes in power and he shakes the prison. So the chains are released. The doors fly open. The, uh, the jailer wakes to see all the doors are open and thinks, oh, they've all gone and he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, no, we're still all here. that's amazing. I mean, you can imagine Paul and Silas being there, but it just seems strange to me that everyone else is still hanging around. But they are. Praise God. The jailer and his family, um, they they say what, what, you know, they they realize to a point what's happened. They want to know how to be saved. And in the midst of all the the jail, the darkness, the the pain from the beating, Paul brings another family. And maybe even many of the prisoners, we don't know, to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. They then, uh, moving on quickly, then, then have to leave Philippi and they come to Thessalonica. There we go, we're at Thessalonians. 
they go to a, uh, a synagogue and start to preach the word of God and men and women are saved. So what we have here then is a new church being birthed in Thessalonica. There are many Jews, or there are a number of Jews in that church, but there are also a number of what they call God-fearing Gentiles, so not non-Jews as well, so it's a small church has just been set up. But again, they are driven out. Within, I think it's within three weeks, Paul and Silas driven out of Thessalonica. So they've established a church. They've given three weeks worth of teaching, which doesn't sound very much. There's no New Testament for this church to be uh, looking at and to study. And Paul and Silas have left them and they move on to Berea. Again, the same thing happens. They, uh, they preach the gospel. Men and women are saved. Again, they are driven out. And so they go on to Athens. Once again, Paul shares the gospel. And whilst he's at Athens, he's so concerned about those in Thessalonica, he then says to Timothy, would you go back? I can't. Satan's stopping me. We don't understand what that means, but Satan was preventing Paul from going back. But Paul says to Timothy, I want you to go back and strengthen the church. Go and see what's happening. Help them supply their needs. And so off goes Timothy to Thessalonica to see the Thessalonian church. Paul continues in Athens for a, for a while, sees again a few people saved, and then he heads off to Corinth. He arrives in Corinth, and as we, we've said, he says, I came, come in weakness, I come in fear, I come in humility. This is, so Paul, has, you know, he's had a beating or two, he's been chased out of various uh, uh, towns, and he arrives at Corinth, you know, I think he, he's a bit down, he's a bit struggling, and yet he still is willing to preach the word of God. And, and he actually stays in Corinth for a year and a half. He, he has a, another vision for God, from God. And I think this is just God's grace here. How, how God kind of picks Paul up from his weakness and said, Do not fear. You know, I've got many people to be saved in this city. And so God just you know, lifts him up, gives him a, a confidence to stay on. And whilst he's in uh, Corinth... Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians. So there you go, we've got to Thessalonians. I guess I ought to read the passage. We're reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we're starting from verse 6. So, as I've said... Timothy has been sent to the Thessalonians from Athens. Paul has moved on to Corinth. He's, he's writing the letter, or, or at least he, this is where he, the place he writes the letter, and it's the place where Timothy comes back to and starts to share about the church. Verse 6, But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith. And love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us 
just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. I don't know about you, but I, I often, when I, well, what I say often, when I, when I think about Paul and maybe what he was like, I think he was a, a great apostle. He was obviously a very great evangelist. He was a preacher. He was a teacher, and he displayed a pastoral heart. But I also feel and see in Paul something else. He longed to disciple. He didn't want to just preach and run, although that's quite often what happened. But actually, his desire was to spend time with people, to see them grow in their faith, to to lead them on, to to encourage them, to supply their needs. And I, I was challenged over the summer by Guy Miller, not me individually, but when I was at a, 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 a prayer time with him down in Bournemouth, he challenged all of us that were there that we actually need to be considering who are you discipling? Who are you sharing your faith with? Who are you encouraging and bringing on to know Jesus more and more? And that really spoke to me and I came back feeling very challenged and with the desire to look into who I could maybe share what God has already put in me. And, and it's a challenge, I feel, that comes, to me at least, comes through this passage of Scripture. As we look, we see Paul's desire to disciple, his, his desire to go back and spend time with these people, with these Thessalonians. And so, as, as I just very briefly, really, unpack this Scripture, I want you to consider Paul wanting to disciple these people and how you might be challenged how you could share your faith with maybe others in this room, how you could encourage them and move them on as well. So I, to look at this passage then, I've broken it down into three parts, which I've titled the report, or if you like, Timothy's report, Paul's response and Paul's prayer. So Timothy has arrived back. He's uh, travelled from Thessalonica and he's arrived at Corinth and he's reporting to Paul. Now you you may remember that in 
the, the previous verses, especially what Andrew shared last week, Paul was extremely concerned for this church. As I mentioned earlier, they'd, been, they'd only had Paul with them for three weeks. Uh, they didn't have the New Testament. They, they had had a certain amount of teaching. And Paul had also said, you will be persecuted, just as I'm persecuted. So he has a great concern for the Thessalonian, Thessalonians. And so when Timothy arrives... Timothy says, Timothy has just come for you and has brought good news. It's interesting that the, the Greek words that uh, Paul uses here to, to say good news are, is the same words he uses when he says the good news of the gospel. It's the only time, apparently, in the New Testament where the the words good news are, you know, the Greek words are the same as meaning the good news of the gospel. So Paul is like, wow, this is such fantastic news. You know, it's not just, oh yes, that, that's good. No, it's fantastic news. What? Your faith and love. What about it? Faith and love? Well, you can only imagine that this, this is a positive. You know, their faith is growing. Their love is growing. And so Paul has taken... Uh, Great joy in this. Wow, the very things that I needed to hear, I wanted to see growing in you. Timothy has come and said, that is what is happening. And I guess the challenge for us is, if that is such good news for Paul, what about our faith and our love? You know, these guys, three weeks worth of teaching... From Paul and then left on their own. How are we moving on in our lives? Are we seeing our faith grow? Our faith in God, our, our desire to see him at work in our lives? It's a challenge. What about our love for him? Is it growing day by day? Are we more in love with Jesus Christ now than when the day that we gave our lives to him? Are we more able to love those around us than when we first came to know him? Because that's such a challenge, isn't it? Sometimes it's easy to say, okay, I love God. Struggling a bit with his people, struggling a bit with my neighbours. But actually the call is, the, the good news is that your love is increasing for God and for other people. It also, Timothy also says here in his report that the Thessalonians have pleasant memories of Paul and of Silas and that they long to see them. They have a desire to meet up again, to spend time together. And again, and Paul says, just as I want to see you. So there's a mutual desire to spend time together. It's Paul's desire to come back and disciple them, to encourage them. And it's their desire to receive more from Paul, to be taught more, to move on in their faith. And again, there's a challenge in here. Are we desiring to spend time with each other? Are we you know, really, if you like, sometimes putting ourselves out to spend time with other Christians so that A, we can grow through them, and B, they can grow through us. Moving on then, 
Paul's response. We've noted that Paul desires to spend time with them as well. He, He acknowledges that just as you want to spend time with me, I want to spend time with you. He's encouraged. It says here, therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution. So Paul saying here, I was distressed and persecuted when he spoke to the Corinthian churches where, it, where he was. I was in weakness and fear. But in all of that, I'm encouraged by your faith. I think, I think that's really good that uh, actually Paul seeing Faith building in other people is encouraged. It builds him up. It helps him in his walk with God, seeing other people uh, growing in their faith. And, and, and that, that's a, a beauty of discipleship, really, because actually as, if you pour your energy into someone, when you see them growing, it builds your own faith. It encourages you. It lifts you up as well. He goes on. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. You get this sense that after all this battering that Paul's had, he's thinking, was it really worth it, Lord? I've struggled. I've been beaten. I've been in prison. I've been chased from one town to the next. Was it really worth it? And yet, as he hears from Timothy, that the Thessalonians are growing in their faith, that there is fruit in their lives. Paul says, I'm alive. It's building me up. That's fantastic news. And it encourages him, it says, to to have even more joy in the Lord. So from feeling down, he's suddenly up. He's having a, you know, being with God in joy. It says... For how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of God because of you? And he says it stirred him to continue to pray for them. So he saw where they were at. He saw that they're growing. But he realized that there was more that they needed. And so it stirred him to pray. Okay, so he couldn't go and see them immediately. But he could pray. It says, night and day we pray. Most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking your faith. So he's praying that he can go and see them, but he's praying also that he can supply what they need. How's our prayer lives? How's your prayer life? I struggle with continuous prayer, I must admit. But when I do get into prayer, it's because I notice I I have a burden. Maybe it's for somebody else, or maybe it's for something. But actually, when it's on my heart, when I'm involved in it, when I've got caught up in it, that's when I get down on my knees and pray and pray and pray, crying out to God. Paul had put himself in a position where he had such a concern for these Thessalonians that he 
had to pray for them. He had such a burden for them. And he, he needed to see the obstacles removed so he could go back and supply their need. Are we seeking to be in a position, if you like, to have burdens for other people, a passion for other people, a desire, such that we are in continuous prayer for them? It's such a challenge. And then finally, the third part is actually Paul praying. Paul's prayer starts in verse 11. I've mentioned that Paul was desperate to go back. And he said it once in verse 10, and then he says it again. He's told them what he's praying, now he prays it again. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Paul had a burden, he had a desire, and he continued to pray into it. He told them that's what he was praying, and I guess in that he was encouraging them to pray the same thing. What does he pray also? He prays. So we're going back to where the start of the passage, if you like, your faith and love are obviously growing. But Paul is saying, actually, it needs to grow more. This is his prayer, that their love might increase. So he knows that they've got a love for each other, but he's saying, you need so much more. I want you to have more. I'm asking God that you would receive more love for each other for him and for those around you. And so that, that's really part and parcel of where Paul was at. He wanted to see faith grow, love grow. And, and this is the passage. Paul's heart for, his, for the Thessalonians, his, his wanting to disciple them was to see them grow in faith and in love. Finally, he prays that they would be strengthened to be blameless and holy before God. Paul desired for, a, for the Thessalonians to be a holy people. It's the same call on our own lives that each of us would be holy. That when we are before God, we would be blameless and holy in his presence. And I believe it's, it's, a, it's a challenge for us individually and corporately to be holy before him. To seek, how do we become holy? We seek him, we cry out to him. It is not through our own strength or ability that we become holy, but it is through the work of the Holy Spirit within us. But it's for us to seek it. To cry out to God. Maybe for ourselves, yes, but for others as well. Let us be a church who seek to grow in faith 
in love and in holiness. It's an individual thing and a corporate thing. We pray for ourselves, we pray for others, we get alongside others, we challenge them, we encourage them, we lift them up. But it's also a corporate thing where we gather together and cry out to God that these things would rise up in us corporately as well. That we would be known as a church filled with faith, as a church filled with love, and a holy people before God. Amen.